We want to talk about pursuit of happiness. What are the things that somebody really wants out of life? Peace of mind, some security, wealth and comfort, definitely love, some connection with a higher force, success and progress. These are some of the basics. You know. After shelter and clothing, some love, some security, enough money and comfort, connection with a higher force, is something that brings contentment. Now, when you're pursuing happiness, if you try to appease ego and mind, you're on the wrong track. Don't try to appease ego and mind. If you appease ego and mind, 10 minutes later, they'll be looking for something else. So, you know, like, let's say you really, really love watches. So you buy an excellent watch from Switzerland. It's not in the nature of the five senses, the ego and the mind, to remain satisfied with that one watch. You might not hoard, but still, it's not in the nature of mind, ego, and five senses. You buy yourself a car that you love, and you continue loving it, but the eyes are going to look at other ones. Yoga says, forget about the idea that your mind, your ego, and your five senses are going to remain contented in the external world. And as Michael found out, and he told us this afternoon, if you also try to go after happiness uh, on the outside, uh, you basically fail. Because on the outside, it's your five senses that are engaged with the outside world. And five senses are designed to want, want, want. No matter what you promise your five senses, you get your five senses what they want, and then they're going to want something else. This idea that I'm going to go to the external world and satisfy myself is, doesn't exist. This is why shopping centers work. Uh, the other thing is ego and mind go after quick gratification and avoidance of pain. Uh, both of those strategies cannot lead to happiness. Uh, quick gratification is what the world is going after right now. There is now an app on the iPhone, and uh, some of you may know the name of it. You open up this app, and it knows your profile, and it shows you the nearest available singles that can go out on a date with you right there. So this is called quick gratification. You're on Newberry Street, Boston. You hit the app on your iPhone, and it shows these dots blinking. And like those are the available girls within a periphery of 500 yards who match your profile. And then if you, if you hit that dot, the girl will call you. Anyways, uh, immediate gratification doesn't work, basically. Now, imagine a lot of these Western countries are geared towards immediate gratification. It doesn't work because, you know, the ego and the senses want something immediate, but then afterwards they're going to want something else. So you cannot appease them. The other thing is avoidance of pain. That's the other thing modern society is doing. And... When you avoid pain, that doesn't work either because any kind of progress 
you need to go through your comfort zone. In order to progress as a person, you must go through some comfort zones. In order to meditate deeply, you have to go through some comfort zones. If you avoid your thoughts during meditation, thought avoidance is going to make your meditation very hellish because you're going to have more thoughts. So avoidance and quick gratification just don't work. What's clever about yoga, it says, my dear friend, don't even try it because these things don't work. So yoga comes out to you on the second day and says, don't go to the outer world for contentment because it doesn't work. You can go to 15 Dubai shopping centers. You can come back with a lot of packages, bring them back to your hotel. That's not contentment. You just have a lot of goods. They'll make you happy for a while, but it's not contentment. So yoga is very blunt. It says, if you're going for quick gratification, you're not going to be happy. If you go for avoidance of pain, you're not going to be happy. So what does yoga say? It says, the main battleground is the mind. Yoga says, everything is the mind. If you're happy, it's your mind. If you're miserable, it's your mind. Actually, some of the scriptures say, Saint-Georges doesn't even exist without the mind. It's a very strange statement when you first hear it. They say, they say, like, your girlfriend doesn't exist outside of your mind. And you wonder, what are they talking about her physical being? But what they really mean is that if you are not there as an observer to observe your girlfriend, she doesn't really exist. Because you are seeing her, you are interpreting her, you are looking at her through your lenses, and that's why she's your girlfriend. If you had no perception, she wouldn't be your girlfriend. Right. Right. Uh, Yogananda says, if God blinks, the whole planet is going to powderize. He claims in this book that it's God's attention on the globe that's keeping the globe intact. But come back to our talk right now. Everything you experienced today went through your mind. The fish that you had tonight went through your mind. If you have some concept of monkfish, that modified the way you tasted this monkfish. Even the salt you pour on your food, you, you already have a preconception of salt on food. It affects the taste. Anyways, see if you agree with this statement. Uh, the main battleground of spiritual and personal progress is right here in the mind. This is where the entire battle is fought, either towards victory or you just turn out to be some addict on, on the streets, totally depressed. This is the battleground. This, the same instrument can either take, to, take you to contentment or to absolute misery. If you want happiness, your only choice is to work on your mind. Because people try to change circumstances, you know? 
so many cases nowadays, like if you say 70% divorce, people are just trying to change the circumstance. And, you know, if you change enough mates, you're going to change other mates because you don't hang around. You don't go deep enough. You don't go down vertically to taste a relationship, to work on the relationship. Nowadays, nobody wants to go vertically. People want to go horizontally. So easy to date. You just go horizontally. Just try different people. It's not going to work. Number one is quick gratification. Number two, you're avoiding pain. Number three, you're not growing vertically. Think about vertical travel. If you ask me, if you have 35% things in common on day one, you can work on that and take it up to 65%. I'm just giving you some numbers. But a lot of people will throw away 35% compatibility. A lot of people. Not worthwhile. So then, if you're going for quick gratification or some ideal, then you're not going to be content. That's why I was asking Prashad what she means by innocent love and an innocent heart. Because if her definition, if her definition is a little bit off or childish, then she's going to be heartbroken. So we're trusting that it's not. She's just looking for a very dear, sincere, good person. But if that definition is three degrees off, let's say she's been heartbroken by her dad, let's say, and that what she's really looking for is a man who will never, ever, ever hurt, then that's unrealistic. If you live 40 years with a man and you expect him to never, ever do or say or think anything hurtful, in my book, that's unrealistic. Mostly you want to be looking for somebody who loves your soul, so if he hurts you, he then comes over and gives you a hug. That's more likely that you'll find somebody like that. Let's come back to happiness. Uh, without progress, you're not going to be happy. Any part of your life that is not in movement is going to spoil. It's going to rot. So which part of your life is not moving? Is it the career? Is it the romance? Is it spirituality? Your artistry? Whatever. Uh, any part of your life that's not moving is going to rot. In other words, your only choice really is progress. Happy people are pushing for progress. That doesn't mean money or salary hike. It means progress of some kind. In this five-day workshop, if you were not making progress, you would start feeling ill during these five days. You have to sense some sort of progress in order to stay happy. So my advice as a friend, never stop moving. If you stop moving, some part of your life is going to rot. Even into your 90s, you know, keep moving. 
I don't mean physically, keep parts of your life on the progress wheel. It's counter to nature not to move. This idea of retired people in Florida just walking the beach all the time or retirement home, it's not good. You know, your flowers should keep you on your toes and the grandsons and so forth. At one time I went to Florida, there were a whole bunch of like young looking 60 year olds and they were walking the beach like four times a day. It's not time because they were healthy. And they were ex-executives, so they had all this knowledge here, just walking the beach. If you find a hobby that keeps you happy, then that you can make progress in that. But just walking the beach is not going to do it. It's against the laws of nature. Also, the more control you have over your own life, the happier you are. So you look at societies, countries, individuals. Which ones have some sense of authority over their own life. You know, if you're employee number 555 and everything in your life is being controlled by the corporation, by definition, you're less happy because you don't have control of your own life. Uh, in countries where there's very repressive regimes, there's mass depression because people don't have control over their own lives. That's another formula for happiness. Self-reliance, self-control. Also, think about this. All of your nights are going to be spent with your lover or your spouse. All of your days are going to be spent with your job. So the two most important decisions you'll ever make in your life. What do I do in the daytime? Who do I spend time in the nighttime? That's the whole of your life. Analyze some of your friends and relatives and see how much attention they paid to picking their spouse and picking their profession. One of them fills up all the days. The other fills up all the nights. I mean, I know a lot of people, uh, let's say way back at a younger age, they spent very little energy. They spent relatively little energy on the two most important decisions. What do I do with my days? What do I do with my nights? One is, one is the man or the woman, the other is the career. I mean, you could stay single, but you, you'll need love anyways. You, you have to get your love potion in somehow. So how much time did you spend thinking about these two decisions? The one you spend your nights with, the job you spend your days with. It's basically the full picture of your life. By the way, somebody says, how do you measure if somebody lived a good life? One way of looking at it is that your life is equivalent to a picture album at the end. Right before you take your last exhalation, you have this picture album. The one with the maximum number of joyful photographs wins the contest. This is right before we expire. Now, the greatest way to expire is to die with the direct experience of Hamsa, that I've dropped my mask, I now know that I am that.
That's the best way to go because then you've achieved everything. Other than that, any of you with the maximum number of happy pictures in your photo album get to win because somebody could just be beautiful. Somebody could just be rich. Somebody could just be athletic. But that's not a good photo album. So it doesn't sound very profound, but at a human level, right before your last exhalation, if your life was a photo album, how many happy photos would it have? It doesn't mean smiling. It's like, is, is Margrit in a particular picture, and in that picture, she had a state of well-being. Crying, I mean, you could cry your heart out and have a state of well-being afterwards. Because you're real, you have emotions. Sometimes we cry. If it's coming from the center of your heart. It's actually quite nice to cry from the center of your heart because so many people are um, fragmented from their emotions that they don't even know what it's like to cry from the heart. How much time did you give yourself for pain? Authentic pain. It's a matter, you know, this is, this is part of the happiness talk. It says, don't go for quick gratification and don't go for avoidance. Go through it. And then you come out healthier. Like a whole divorce process. If you go through it without going crazy or making 10 lawyers rich, if you just go through it, if you go through the pain, you come out the other end of it healthier. The more you go through the core of the pain, the faster you come out the other end. As long as you don't numb yourself out, because sometimes it's excruciating. And one thing I've learned as a mentor with you friends, uh, I didn't... I wasn't doing this 10 years ago. I used to ask people just to do things that were right things to do. And then I realized that you cannot push people to go for the ideal things to do. You couldn't push them beyond a certain point. So either, either you're lying to me and you could push harder or you can't do that right now. Two days ago, many of you said, we want to allow time to take care of us, which means you can only go at a particular speed. But your explanation was passage of time will also reveal other alternatives which we're not seeing right now. It wasn't just speed. But overall, here's my answer to you. The more directly you face fear, the more directly you face pain. If you have the tolerance, the faster you come out the other. If you have the tolerance. You know, somebody went to Jackie Kennedy and said, how many days since your husband got shot? And she said, 65. And the doctor said, no, that doesn't make sense. You should stop crying by the 50th day. Statistics. Or you know how uh, couples who are having problems, some of these analysts say, 
well, you know, you should sleep with each other every Wednesday. <laughs> they do this in the U.S. It's like, every Wednesday have sex. And, you know, it's like there's anger, there, there's disappointment, there's negotiation, reconciliation. You can't make a schedule for lovemaking. I've heard advice like this. Yeah, I've heard it many times. They say, they say make a schedule for lovemaking. This will improve your marriage. I've heard, I've heard from several married couples that they got lazy about lovemaking. It's a syndrome. It's like they start eating potato chips instead of making love. You know the television thing? Apparently it happens. Like you still like each other, you, you desire each other, but right before you just open up a bag of potato chips. So you delay it. No, apparently people, I've heard this, people fall out of the habit. There's nothing wrong with the couple. They fall out of the habit. But I can believe that laziness can get in the way, you know? Like, uh, if the couple has a favorite, favorite TV program, and there's this desire towards each other, and then the show is coming up in 10 minutes, you're going to delay it. And then what if there's nine other reasons to delay and then all of a sudden, 90 days have passed. If a couple is doing well in terms of really wanting each other, I think this is very sound advice. I think people should discipline themselves and not sit there for the purpose of lovemaking, but I think they should, they should stop the distractions which become excuses. Distractions start becoming excuses. Little ones, like, you know, let's go for a ride in the convertible when there could be time for holding each other. The excuses start coming up, and then you start growing apart. It may not cause divorce, but you, you grow physically apart.